0: If you have a Bible, you can open the Psalm 23 or read on the screen. As we learn the Apostles' Creed, I hope that we really try to learn it. Uh, it's really pretty cool that we're reciting this, this ancient statement of faith that the church of many cultures, times, places has said over the centuries. A distillation of what in the Bible is called the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And it's awesome to see that being handed down to these children that we pray will become not just intellectual knowledge to them, but the heartbeat of their lives. And then one day, they'll be teaching it to their children. All right, so this is not mere ritualistic formality. This is about discipleship and, again, continuing to guard that deposit that Jesus has given to us. Well, this morning, we're just going to do Psalm 23, 1a. So we're not even going to cover I shall not want. And the reason we're doing this series, part of it is reflections on the time you guys know. We're so gracious to give me away for this sabbatical. I'll explain more what that is. Some of you are like, I'm tired of hearing about it. That's all I've heard you talk about for the last two weeks. So, well, you've got a few more weeks. But hopefully, you'll receive this not as some sort of self-focused thing, because I'd, I'd honestly rather not. It's really more of an expression of both gratitude... For that time and to show you how the Lord really, I believe, not use Christian cliches, really met with me during that time in some transformative ways. And so this morning, we're just going to start with Psalm 23, 1, and then we'll, we'll pause and we'll pray. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. One more time. The Lord is my shepherd. Father, we thank you for your word. It is truth. We've come to you now, God, asking that you would help us to go ahead and hear everything we're going to hear through the good news pronouncement that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to to hear your truth through that word. Help us even now hear it personalized to each of us. Guide us to receive that promise. There is no condemnation, not dependent on how well we may or may not have lived or will live even what we hear today. But our only and full hope is in the righteous life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you've heard of something called emptiness syndrome. Some of you college students have left home, right? So maybe your parents are experiencing it right now. I don't know. But basically, the gist of Emptiness syndrome is and you can google some like standard definitions is that a couple has had this life that is very oriented around their children not a bad thing right but there's activities there's sports there's churchy stuff and all this and it's like really what just get your life together and then all of a sudden these children are gone and and you're like who am i now if you're a single who am i now if you're married who are we now What kind of relationship do we have? And it can be like super disorienting for people. And you can go and research this and see studies that there's actually a lot of divorce that takes place in marriages once children move out of the home because it's like our whole relationship was tied up in what we did and not in who we are. That is, it was a relationship that was fundamentally formed on doing and not being. Now this is how, for me at least, this this time of sabbatical began. Again, just to give you some definition for that, it was a three-month period set aside, not as a vacation, right, where we go do more stuff, but as a time of restoration. Restoration of a personal relationship with God that was not attached to a job description or a schedule or a set of activities. And as much as I'd like to say that was easy for me, although we're gonna, it, it got good, the first month was very hard. And I, it was this almost experience of like the emptiness syndrome. Who am I if I'm not preaching and preparing a sermon? What does it like, look like for me to be in the Word? What, what does it look like for me to have a prayer life... With God, if it's not a prayer for the things that we're trying to accomplish as a missional community or a fight club? What does it look like for me to to love God and love others and not even be doing missional community and fight club right now? And these are things that are all really good and I really believe in and I really want you to be committed to be a part of. But when everything is stripped away, do I have a relationship with God that is as much about being as it is about doing. I want you to go there with me today. How would you enter the empty nest with God? Not a season of vacations like we're finally alone, we've saved up all the money, now we're just going to go do whatever we want and keep ourselves busy so we don't have to really grow. But just imagine, it's just you being with Him. And the question is, do you, do you know each other like that? You and God? Or is your relationship maybe to some extent, if not to a total extent, a functional relationship? Maybe it's like that not totally, but in some ways. And if so, may, maybe this is another reason why we do get so burnt out. Even on good things. Maybe, maybe this is why in a lot of ways, unbelievers aren't always as ready to ask us to give a gospel explanation for the faith that we have. It's because when they look at our lives, they're like, jolly bum, being in a relationship with God seems super stressful. I mean, I, it sounded good at first... But but looking at your life, it looks more like you're working for a machine or a system than a life with a person. And it sounds super cliche, and I don't even like saying this whole religion relationship stuff because it's been so overdone. But maybe we do. We get wrapped up in a religion. It's, religion isn't a bad word, just so you can know. It's like a system of belief, it's a life towards God. But we get more wrapped up in that than we do actually with our relationship with God. And if we were to look and say, what do we prioritize in our life? We might say, oh, I way prioritize doing for God than I do actually being with God. And yet, still, maybe there's a way that these things don't have to be pitted against one another. Maybe we can learn to be with God so that when we actually do commit and reorient our lives around doing for God... We're actually with Him when we do that. That's what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to talk about over these next four weeks. Because many times we can find ourselves alone with God and feeling awkward with Him. I remember the first time I tried some of these things I'm going to talk about today. Just being with God, not having a prayer list. And it's like, oh my goodness, two minutes have passed. It feels like two hours. I'm going to go take a shower. I'm going to go take a nap. I'm going to go read a book. And okay, now it's been 30 minutes. It's empty nest syndrome. What do we do together when we don't have anything to do together? And He's just so gracious with us. Not with condemnation, but an invitation to actually be. Sometimes we may have this concept of God... This doctrinal statement of God that is so very different than how we feel with Him. We have a a confession of faith that is very different, if we were honest, to actually how we picture God. And the feelings we have around that relationship. can be awkward, it can seem irrelevant and this is why a scripture like Psalm 23 this extended introduction needs to be said if there's any psalm in the world that we have the potential to just let go in one ear and out the other it's this one because most of us have heard it a bunch of times I want us to hear it in a new way in some ways, the old way but in a lot of ways that this is not a a mere sentimental piece of scripture to be read to give us like a band-aid bit of comfort. It's not powerless poetry that can leave us just as lonely, anxious, and disoriented as before, but it brings us the good news of a God who wants to be with us. Who is with us. Whether it's in the emptiness season or the high energy season of doing, we don't have to choose, but we have to remember that Jesus said, if you would be my disciples and you would bear fruit, then you must abide in me. You must live at home with me. So we must seek to know God in an experiential relationship as much as we have sought to know Him as an explained reality. If we want to experience this fuller, deeper life of freedom, then we have got to seek to know God as much as an experienced reality, as much as we've sought to know Him as an, ex- an experienced reality. Yes, reality is we have is an explained reality. So how do we do that? A few things here in Psalm 23. We've got to seek God, we seek God in experienced relationship by acknowledging when, we, when what we have is "is, but not mine," to our verse. "The Lord is my shepherd." All right? So a lot of us are living in relationship up to the point of "is" in this sentence. "The Lord is, and He is. Let us rejoice. He really is. He exists. He is the I Am. The eternal, unchangeable, immortal, glorious God. He is the I Am. The Jehovah. The Yahweh. He is awesome and amazing. So much so that that this word Lord, you see it's in all caps. It actually is the word Yahweh. But because of respect for God in the Jewish tradition... It's like, this has got to be put Lord. We don't even say that great, personal, awesome name. In my Hebrew classes, we were taught, you don't say Yahweh. You look in the Hebrew, it says Yahweh. You say Adonai. And if you get online today and you type in, this is just still how Jewish people do it today. Because He is so amazing, so awesome. He's real. He may be invisible as spirit, but he is every bit as real as that chair you're sitting in. And were he to become tangible, you could touch him right in front of you right now, every bit as easy as you're touching that chair. He is, he is, he is objective. That is, he is outside of you, he is not your imagination. You did not, you're not, you don't make him by your belief and by your faith. He is external, he is historical. But is that all He wants to be for you? There's some different philosophies and theologies. and One of them is called deism. Uh, Not to get controversial, but a lot of times we talk about the faith of our fathers. The faith of our fathers in America, if you go and research it, was mainly this belief of deism. That is, there is a God and He exists, but it's like He's wound up the universe like a clock... And then he stepped back and he just lets it run. So there's really a God, but he's a distant God. He's a far-off God that is awesome, amazing, the foundation of logic, of liberty, and all these awesome things. But he just pretty much stands back. That could be where you're at, not maybe even your mind, but in your life. Is you're like, oh man, yeah, I totally believe in God. But I believe in the God of the cosmos, not the God of the kitchen. It could be a doctrinalism, so it's not deism like, I mean, you could do whatever catechism you want. Heidelberg Catechism, Belgic Catechism, London Baptist Confession, Lausanne, whatever, whatever your cup of tea is. That he's still seen to you as a king who is on a throne that does not intermingle with the commoners. And you've convinced yourself that's a high view of God when it's missing the point. This is a psalm of David. You'll notice that. We don't don't have it up on the screen. That's my fault. But if you look again in the the original text, that's a part of the verse. It's not like an editor added it later. They added these verse markings. They didn't add that part. A psalm of David. Now you read David's story and you tell me what you think. Is this a guy who only had a doctrinal relationship with God? Or is this a guy whose everyday life and story was intermingled with this experience of God who is greater than a Goliath, but a God who goes with him in the battle? And then, if if David's story doesn't do it for you, go and read David's Psalms. And if you're not familiar with them, you're going to be like... Are we allowed to say that? Can I talk that way to God? We believe in the Spirit-inspired Scripture. If not only can you, God has said, "I want to teach you to do this, like this." God is, but God's isness is not His goal with us. He is eternally. Creating us wouldn't have changed, wouldn't have added to his isness that he created us, that he might be with us. That's where we'll go next, but first, some of you might have a father or a dad, and you know that your dad exists, or imagine somebody does, but there's a difference from knowing that your father exists and experiencing a father's hug. Well, imagine a child, say a girl, who never got a hug from her dad, but her dad was always providing, was always powerful was protecting, was present, but there was no real personal experience. Now imagine this is a girl that plays softball, and she goes to a softball banquet, and of course dad is there because he always does what he's supposed to do. He's a good dad. He shows up. And entering this banquet, the the coach says, I'm going to give you a softball, and I want you to take this softball and give it to your fathers as a sign that, that you are grateful for his investment into your life and, and, and making your ability to be a part of this sport possible. All sounds good, right? Very grateful. And then there's a little catch that takes, takes our girl in the story off guard. To show your dad how much you appreciate him, I don't only want you to give him the ball, I want you to give him a hug. I mean, they're kids after all, right? That makes sense. That's not beyond the pale of imagination. Give the dad the ball and give the the dad the hug. But now all of a sudden our girl is super anxious. Her and dad don't hug. And now she's going to have to do it in front of everybody at this banquet. I want you to feel that. The awkwardness of her handing that ball. She really is grateful. But then this, on both sides, just weirdness. Maybe it turns into that awkward Christian side hug we do. How does that make you feel? And if that feels normal to you, you need to go home and sit with that before the Lord. so sad, isn't it? That you could know somebody in such a way in provision, protection, and presence, but have no personal experiential relationship with them. Maybe that's how some of us are, all of us can be at times in our relationship with God. It might make you like it's maybe why you avoid him when it comes to your real stuff. Or you get real anxious. You know, like prayer, extended prayer, or just a little bit of time of prayer that's not about you hitting a list. Like like you, you just feel the tension coming up in your body, right? Because you're like, Ugh, the hug. I don't know if it's coming. I'm afraid it might not be coming. It gets you get anxious and you like try to please him right you want to do the right thing you want him him to still like you You, and and then get worse you're afraid you don't want him to damn you or some weird view that if you don't do this right if you don't relate with him right all of a sudden you're going to get sick your car's going to break down I know that goes through your mind sometimes he must be out to get me I didn't do something right this week because I had a flat tire But today, hear the word of the Lord. The Yahweh God does not want to just be is in your life. Discipleship is not about knowing about God. It is about knowing God. And there's a world of difference. He he has not sent His Son into this world so that you might relate to Him like a fact in your history book. We know Abraham Lincoln exists. But we don't know Abraham Lincoln. God wants to know you. During this time, I was listening to a series of uh, videos. We weren't really training things, it's just like uh, Isaiah gave me his old elliptical. I was on an elliptical, turn on a video. And uh, one man's trash, another man's treasure. And here I go, and this guy's talking, and he's you know last week we spoke on John 21, and he was sharing that he shared was sharing with this uh, friend, this disciple, mentor in his life, and he was like, oh man, we're going to talk about John 21, and he was just doing all the exegesis and all the facts, and it was all really good, and he thought it would be really impressive to his mentor, and his mentor looked at him and said these words. He said, Trevor, insight is the consolation prize. But encounter is the first prize. I'm still wrestling with that myself. We're going to see what Psalm 23 is talking about. Insight is the consolation prize. That's good. But encounter is the real prize. Right? Seeing somebody you think is beautiful and knowing about them is great. But being with them intimately is way better. So ask yourself. Do I have a relationship with God that is only an is relationship? Do I get anxious around the idea of being so personal with God or avoidant? Do I believe that God is not only is, but He is for me? And to our second point here, we can't just acknowledge if we have an is relationship. But if we want want to seek God in an experiential relationship then we've got to act to bring is and my together. All right, Here, what does it say? Not just the Lord is shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd. Now, from the start of our church, we have decried uh, American individualism, right? We believe in our faith and our Father and all that, and we'll keep talking about how important community is. But the importance of community does not undercut or undermine the importance of a God given individuality and a personal relationship with Him. We do not say just the Lord is shepherd. We are called to pray and to believe and to experience the Lord is my shepherd. Now, what I think the, the Bible's telling us here with this powerful possessive personal pronoun. Is that if we get the is right, it'll always lead to the mind. This isn't an option. Are we going to be people of doctrine or people of experience? We're going to be people of facts, or we're going to be people of feelings. Right? Let's just quit making those things enemies of each other. They're not. Because who is the God who is? The God who is is the triune God, eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who has existed all time in a relationship of love and communion. You might be a little nervous saying God is a community, right? We don't believe in tri-theism. But I think we can stand on good ground and say God is communion. If you know who He is, then you will know that His creation of you in His image is so that you might join in that communion. It's exactly what Jesus prayed for us in John 17. I pray, Father, that they might know me as we know each other. His identity as Trinity, His creation of us, and then also His incarnation in Christ tells us all that if we really know who this God is, then we're going to know this God is mine. This is a real knowledge, though. This is not a gnostic knowledge, and if you don't know what that word gnostic means, it's this belief, this Greek way of thinking that separates the spirit or soul from the body. But the Hebrew way of thinking was a way, when it talked about knowledge, not to make everybody uncomfortable, but it said things like this, And Adam knew Eve. It's why that whole weird book of Song of Solomon, like we're not doing a preaching series through it, right? Whatever your Bible study method hermeneutic is around that, if you read the Old Testament, when they're talking about knowledge, they're not talking about this set of facts and thoughts that's disentangled from a real embodied knowing and life. And this is a whole other ballgame for discipleship for many of us. It scares the heck out of some of you. But God wants to know you. Is and my are the goal of our existence in Christ. Union with Christ. In Christ. John 14 through 17 again, this is why I came, that they might be in you and you might be in them and all this confusing language where the triune God gets wrapped up in our very being and existence and we live in this communion of intimacy with him. Like an astronaut, think of an astronaut who studies space, but then one time he get, one day he finally gets to go there and it's like, this is amazing. We think of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 3.19. He prays this for the Ephesians. And we need to pray it for one another and for ourselves. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. It's not less than knowledge. It's not less than is. But we learn the breadth, the width, and the height of it, he says in that context, in our inner being. And why, he says, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. We read a lot of books to our kids when they were growing up. And, and I remember Kaylee, we had these books when she was little. I don't know if she remembers, it's like a fish book, all the different fishes and the ocean stuff. And of course, like a lot of little kids, she wanted to be a marine biologist at one point. And it was great learning about it. But you know what was really great was when we took her to the ocean for the first time. And just, I can still see her, right? You know those waves? She's afraid. She's excited. Because what was in concept now is about to become a very, very experienced reality. And playing Kaylee versus waves, they knock her down, and later doing it with our other kids, the, just the joy... You know God God wants you to get in the ocean of His presence and love. You may be content with the is, but He wants the my. He doesn't want to be an idea to you. So how can we get there a little easier? Well, this is where, if, if, if this has already pushed you a little bit, I'm going to push you a little more, but I'm going to do like like I always do. I'm going to try to root this in Scripture, and you can talk to me about it afterwards if you don't feel good about it. So, what I want to suggest to us is that we are not merely given a meaning in Psalm 23 or a meaning in all the Psalms. We're given a method. So far, probably so good. That is, we're not only being taught, the Lord is my shepherd, we're being taught how to engage in a relationship with God. Now, this is going to probably sound a little English teachery for a second, but if you knew my life, the last thing I want to be did is be done done to me. Obviously, with how I speak, is have some English teacher talking to me about how I should talk better. But anyway, so go with me, because we're going to talk about metaphors and similes. All right, it's already got that's already too much, but just hang with me. A metaphor is this: "The Lord is my shepherd." Is God like really a shepherd? No. He's not working out on a hillside with sheep. This is an image that David is using to say, this is what God is like. And when you put the word like in there, that's a simile, right? So if it said the Lord is like a shepherd, that's a simile. The Lord is my shepherd, it just it just makes it more personal, right? And you get more in the story. So this is David's method. And at least the way I believe the Bible is inspired is we're not only given meanings, we're given methods. So what's happening here? Well, let's let's think through this. How is He doing this and how can we do this? The first step is what we'll call consideration. What is the truth about God rooted in Scripture? David might be thinking at this season or series of his life, well, God is present. God is a provider. He's a protector. He knows me. He feeds me. He leads me. He takes care of me. Those things are true, right? Those things are the is. Just doctrinal facts. Confession of faith. He's not imagining them. He's not playing pretend. He can point you to Scripture and verse and say, this is the truth. But he doesn't stop there. Now he moves to his imagination. Consideration, what are the truths? Scripture, verse, propositional theology. And then he does move to this imagination, though. He pictures in his mind's eye a relatable image or reality that he knows that corresponds with that truth. And what is it for him? Right here, it's a shepherd. Do you know how many of these there are in the Bible? I googled it and printed off a list here, but I'm not going to read it. It's not all of them, probably. Look at this little font. I mean, that's too little. I probably can't even read it. That's just one person's list of these metaphors for who God is advocate, bread, potter, dew, an eagle, mother hen, light, mountain, rock, potter, righteous, sanctuary, tender plant, vine. We do it all day. What's going on? They're looking at creation and they're saying, that helps me get in touch with who God is like. David knew shepherds, he was one. Now, aren't there bad shepherds? Yes, read Ezekiel 34, John 10. The scriptures say there's bad shepherds. So we have to see if you're nervous, like, well, God's not like a shepherd in every way. You're right. That's, that's how metaphors work, right? This isn't pressing it to its lengths. It's like, yeah, but in some ways he is like that. Again, we've lived with the meaning. Can we follow the method? And this is the last one. So from consideration to imagination, and here's the, here's the my part, right? Here's the money. Participation. He steps into the story. He steps into the image. So it's not the Lord is a shepherd, right? Because I know He bleeds, feeds, knows, and protects me. That's like a shepherd. you got to go third step. He's my shepherd. And the whole rest of this psalm is going to be what? I'm just a sheep walking around with God, taking care of me. And again, you can disagree with me, but I think this is one way we're being taught how to pray. We're being taught how to pray. I think this is a big part of our discipleship that we miss. And so some of us, when we're going through the hardest times of our life, we, we just don't know how to relate with God when our doctrine statements don't seem to be working out with our real lives. And I'm going to push you just a little further. Alright? If you're like, already this isn't weird enough. Here we go. So, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can't disagree with the Bible, all right? This is a setup, just so y'all know. Luke 16, the parable of the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes off and does a lot of super stupid stuff, right? Dishonors his father, disappoints everybody. And what does the father do when the son returns? He runs after him. All right. All right consideration, I've got these truths in my mind that I know are true. Can I do like David and go to imagination? What is an image that reminds me of that, that I can get more in touch with than just a sentence on a page? Well, the Bible talks about Jesus being a lion. There's a metaphor, right? He's not really a lion. A lamb? Nah, that doesn't really work. A rock? No. And you know what came to my mind in prayer? My dog. You know what we call dogs? And I'm not a good dog owner, but you know what we call dogs? Man's best friend. You know why? Because no matter how dumb or stupid or disappointing you've been... (laughs) Consideration, imagination, and now here I go into participation. Oh, what a dummy I've been, and here comes God. He is so happy to see me right now. And then we just talk about that. That's what David's doing. what he's doing I, I i'm i'm learning to pray like this mainly just because of the emptiness syndrome right like i had three months like what else am i going to do sat here and i don't know and one morning i was sitting on my porch and i was i was doing this trying to be like david and and i was trying to even imagine the father or jesus whichever it was that day just being present with me and I I don't know if it was the enemy, maybe it was the spirit, I don't think it was, was saying, you know what you're doing, don't you? You're just playing pretend. You You might as well just be imagining your dead grandmother sitting here on the porch talking to you. And then I think this was the spirit. It's just like, you know what's the big difference in your grandma and Jesus? He really is here. Your theology tells you he really is here. You are not playing pretend. You may be doing prayer like the Psalms are doing it, but you're not making stuff up. He's here. And there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ, and the Father runs to me in love even when I've dropped the ball. So however we get there, it's why Jesus tells that story. He doesn't want you to just know it. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to experience. He wants it to wash all over you. Do you not think the people who first heard the parable of the prodigal son didn't have some feelings about it? Just go read the text. That's what Jesus is trying to do. That's why they said this is one who speaks with an authority unlike the scribes and the Pharisees. Insight is the consolation prize, encounter is the first prize. And if you need to hear it backed up by some old dead theologian you thought, think might not agree, hear this from Mr. John Calvin. Prayer is like a communication between God and us, whereby we expound to Him our desires, our joys, our sighs, and in a word, all the thoughts of our hearts. So if you've got some image of some type of theology that doesn't say that, well... Just go read the source. All your hearts. So we seek an experiential relationship with Jesus by acknowledging when it's just our is, by acting as if our is is our my. The last thing here will get us to the table Or if you hadn't called on, we kind of already do this every week. Is we must seek experiential relationship by accepting. Promise that he is my shepherd regardless. A psalm of David. Adulterer, murderer, cover-upper. And yet David's relationship with God is not rooted in David's feelings about his relationship with God, even his experience of his relationship with God. He is not wanting us to take this and make this a law that therefore we judge ourselves by and just feel more condemnation in prayer. No, this is all about the shepherd's faithfulness and love to him. A little more of this shepherd sheep thing, but David chose it because he knew it. First, the sheep. This is so overdone in sermons. Y'all have heard it before. Sheep are wandering creatures, right? It's probably exaggerated some when people talk about how dumb they are. I don't know if they're more dumb than other animals, but they can, they, we know from Scripture they want to leave the flock, right? They want to leave the protection of the shepherd. As we've already sang this morning, they are prone to wander. And so are we. But it's the shepherd who takes care of them. Some of you might be living in a relationship with God where you think you are taking care of the relationship you have with God. Like some jacked up child-parent relationship where parents are, my parents are real unstable. <laughs> I, I've got to I gotta do all the right things to keep them happy. I've got to walk on eggshells. I've got to hold this relationship together. That is not the gospel of grace. God is your father. And he's holding you together. He's the shepherd. Isn't it awesome? David needed a shepherd himself. Some of you in leadership may need to hear that, right? He's your shepherd. You've got a leader. It's not all on you. What does the shepherd do? David knows this. He knows David. Like You are known. And then He still desires you and delights in you and loves you. And then He ultimately commits to you, covenants with you for your good. In the Psalms, this is called His Hesed love, His covenant faithful love, the love of the shepherd king. And what David is doing here is he's pointing us forward into the future to when we get to John chapter 10 and Jesus says these words, I am the good shepherd. I know the voice of my sheep, and they know my voice. I know my sheep, and they know my voice. I lay down my life for the sheep. And we're called to realize that this whole relationship we have with God is wrapped up in His faithfulness, not ours. He knows us, desires, commits to us. He goes, as we'll see in these weeks, to the valley of the shadow of death and he faces all those feelings of forsakenness that we fake so that we might know that however far God seems, he is present and he is faithful. I got a text this summer from a leader in our family of churches. Not this summer, earlier this year. And uh, I thought it was pretty cool, right? Because this is like a leader, e-book writer guy. And I got this text and it, and it, was, it wasn't like a... It was to me and I thought, Oh yeah, I am gonna be like... Becoming friends with this guy, and you know what I realized? It was a mass general text, but he had just somehow figured out how to do it where it went to individual people. And I and I responded to it. Oh, it's so embarrassing because <laughs> you know it's like, oh, we're buddies, and then it was real quickly. I I got the you know, don't you love and pour your heart out to somebody, and you get the thumbs up thing. All right, glad I spent thirty minutes wording that text right. Uh, It was a general deal, which is fine in this relationship, but it was not somebody wanting to be my friend. That's okay. I'll get over it. But I think if we're honest, that's sometimes maybe how we view our relationship with God is you just got on the general text message list. You're just on the list... And so this is what your relationship with God looks like. You can read the most beautiful thing in Scripture, but it's not personal to you. I agree. I mean, what option do I have? In some ways, and I don't want this to sound self-promoting or whatever, I really feel like this summer I, I, I felt a little more that I was moved off God's general text list. And I really want everybody to experience that if you haven't. I really do. If you don't think this is missional, remember what the early church said. They were so confused. What's up with all these uneducated people changing the world? But they knew they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. That's all we're wanting to do in our church, guys. We believe we can change lives, not because of our greatness, but the overflow of the life of abiding in Christ. If we don't do it out of that, then we'll probably just be mean and mad at each other. As we come to the table, and I've, went, I've got this little thing here because of my resolution to preach shorter so two oh for two two weeks uh and i gotta say this we come to the table it's too important not to when we think about this personal relationship some of us this is how we've heard the gospel our whole lives if you were to die tonight and you were to stand before god and he were to say why should i let you into my kingdom how would you answer that question I've did that. I was trained to do that. I used to be master door knocker in my earlier days. First off, what kind of image of God does that create in you? That when you step before His presence, He's sitting there with His arms crossed saying, pass the test. Pass the test. Now I know that's not how it was meant. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just sharing how I feel right now. Pass the test. I don't see that in the, in the parable of the prodigal son. I'm not saying that parable says everything. I don't even see that in the judgment text in the scriptures. And so what we do is we take from that and we have this gospel that is all wrapped up in this future encounter with God, right? Future encounter, future encounter. So I want to change the question to you. I've heard this in some ways in some places, but this is just my own words. Imagine this. Imagine you were not going to die tonight. Why should you enter into a relationship with God? If if there's not a gospel in that, I think we've missed it. Now I'm going to push you a little more. I believe in hell. Imagine if there is no hell. Is there a gospel that's still good news to you? Is the gospel not just forgiveness, but forgiveness unto a life with God now? So we did John Calvin. We'll do another good old test case. John Piper. Go look it up. Sermon. Forgiveness. Main point, forgiveness for what? Why does God want you forgiven? So you pass the test... You know, I used to lay in my bed at night and think about how I'd answer that test so I wouldn't get it wrong when I was a teenager. I landed on the helm, the solid rock, if y'all want to know. Just afraid. I don't want to get it wrong. What's John Piper say? Not that I agree with everything he says or anything. I'm just saying it to those of you in here who know, need to be convinced because know who, I know how we think. Forgiveness, the purpose of forgiveness is friendship relationship. If you really love somebody, you want to reconcile the relationship, not so you can say, I don't have to worry about them being mad at me anymore. No, because you want the relationship. You want to laugh together. You want to go to the movies and it not be weird. I may be making too much of this, but the Hebrew word for for shepherd is E, the Hebrew word for companion, Friend is ra'i. Very closely related. If you don't like that, Jesus says in John 15, I call you friends. We're invited to be friends. Empty nest does not have to scare us. But we've got to learn to walk in the fact that the Lord is our shepherd. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He wants us to know this and to taste and see it in his table now. So let us go to the table in this hope. Father, we thank you for the good news of eternal life beginning now. And may we live in your presence and may we grow in your friendship.